Hello and welcome to Mr. Encyclopedia. I'm your host, Chase Akers, a musician, producer, and DJ from Nashville, Tennessee. Each episode, I'll be talking with friends of mine who've made their own way in the music industry. We're going to be studying all kinds of music and how the music made in years past has direct influence on music made today. From production style, vocal performance, to sample history, and even lyrical content. Join us each episode of Mr. Encyclopedia as we study the music of years past in an effort to expand our creative future. Our first episode is part one of a two-part interview with band leader, musician, and singer Joey Ritchie. Joey is also a Nashville native, and he's had a very extensive career. He's a founding member as a composer, arranger, and producer of the group New Image, and he's a vocalist with Tim Akers in the smoking section here in Nashville. Uh, He's worked with artists such as Charlie Peacock, Lisa Bevel, The Wooten Brothers, Tommy Sims, Johnny Lang, Keith Urban, CeCe Winans, Patti LaBelle, and countless others. Here's the first part of my interview with Joey Ritchie. Let's get it going. He's one of the best scientific minds we have today. Apologies for some of the pops and clicks you might hear in this episode. I guess that is the nature of digital audio altogether. Uh, Luckily enough, I was able to use Isotope's RX plugin, which got rid of most of the problems I was having. Anyway, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the very first episode of Mr. Encyclopedia. I am your host, Chase Akers. My guest today is the legendary Joey Ritchie. Joey is a singer songwriter, keyboard player, all-around performer, whom I've had the pleasure of watching in all different kinds of capacities, uh, namely with Tim Akers in the smoking section, my father's band. He is the front man for that 17-piece group, and Joey is, in his own way, uh, the definition of his own lane. So uh, please welcome Joey Ritchie. Oh man, thank you. Uh, what a very surprising introduction. <laughs> no, nah, you ain't surprised. <laughs> man, thank you for having me, man. Yeah. And and let me say this to you, uh, Chase, while I have the platform. I, I appreciate um, I appreciate your love for the artistic and for the artist oh, here thank in, you, the, man. Uh, in the Nashville community, but I, I believe that that is uh, expanding uh, exponentially, right. uh, you know, not just across the nation, but I think it's going around the world. So, man, uh, thank you, man. I appreciate you and I applaud you for uh, everything that you do. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, the goal with, uh, the, goal with the podcast here is we're obviously, we're exploring music that's been made before us but what i really want to bring light to is how are the creators in our community in our circle taking that influence and transforming it into something that is it is borrowed from a past time but it's reinvented to something that is their own and so you know given a specific artist or genre or period of time or all three together right what did that mean to you personally 
as a player, as a singer, as an artist? What does that mean for the music that you hear on the airwaves, in all mediums, in all in all methods? Right. And what does that mean going forward? You know, if we're, you know, we're just talking about trying to, you know, take a picture of what was and and take a look at look forward at what will be. Absolutely. So what what are we talking about today? Man, um, anytime I think about uh, the innovative and the highly creative, mm-hmm. one of the first names that comes to my mind that influenced me the most as as we look at the modern era of music uh, is Stevie Wonder. Yeah. And um, when I look at the body of work that Stevie Wonder has offered to the world, man, there is always this element of like, what is he going to do next? Yeah. And that's, a, and, that's uh, a big thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so much more than just uh, the feel of the music, but it's also the depth of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. But also even another layer to it, man, Stevie made everybody feel like they could sing because his that's melodies were so sweet. That's a good point. That's a good like, point. I never thought about it that way. Man, man, you think about it, man. You driving down the road, vibing out to a Stevie Wonder record. You trying to sing every song because uh, good the luck. melody <laughs> was right. Uh, the melody was so sweet. He made everybody feel like they could sing. Hmm. And um, what I um, what I gathered, and this actually came from. Uh, my time in college, uh, what opened up music theory for me was studying his progressions. Um, because believe it or not, I didn't really get serious about playing any instrument until like my sophomore year of college. For those, I- I'm sure a lot of people that are going to be listening to this know who you are because in Nashville, regionally nationally you've you've got your thing but for the people who don't know who you are just give us a quick so i like where you stopped there like stevie made you study but yeah. for those of for for those people who don't know who you are entirely give us a quick synopsis of who you are uh, maybe some career highlights okay um i am I am one of a dying breed. I'm a native Nashvilleian. Same, uh, my guy. Yep. Right. Born and raised. Uh, you know, I went to Martin Luther King Magnet School, graduated in 95, uh, did a year at Tennessee State. Cool. And then transferred to uh, Belmont. Yeah. And um, uh, we'll peel back the layers of that story uh, later on. But a lot of uh, industry professionals that gave me my start, uh, one of whom uh, is Charlie Peacock. Oh, wow. Um, he actually made it possible for me to transfer to Belmont and finish uh, at Belmont. And so, um, cool. you know, from there, uh, the whole... Um, musical journey for me began uh you know i wanted to i wanted to march in the band at tennessee state and i know ne- i didn't stay long enough to actually live that out what did you play uh, when you wanted to be in marching band trombone no kidding um yeah 
trombone. That, that's my first instrument. Uh, and then singing. Then I did a little bit of drums. Okay. And then I landed at the keyboard uh, really for the purpose of learning how to arrange and write the charts for the bands that I was putting together to play mm -hmm. live shows. That was really why I started playing keyboard. I Were needed you to play an MD it. at this time? Were you becoming no. an MD or I, I man, I didn't even know what the concept of being an MD was at that point. Yeah. I just wanted my charts to be accurate because, you know, playing out live, we were doing stuff that was, you know, for a freshman or a sophomore in college, uh, we hadn't really unless you were birthed in gospel and jazz and R and B, um, you really didn't know the mechanics of it. So you really had to like put your ear all the way to work. And so uh, when I got in my uh, theory class with Dr. Harrington, mm -hmm. um, he opened up everything for me in a way that my mind could translate it because we didn't we didn't necessarily approach theory from a classical standpoint first. We actually did it through popular music. And then he went back into the classical stuff and said, this is where all of this started. Oh, wow. And this was Belmont or TSU? This was Belmont. Belmont. Okay. And so um, from there, because the reference point for everything that we did from a theoretical standpoint was based off of music that we were already vibing to. Gotcha it made me a little bit more hungry to study, to kind of go in retrospect. So it was like we started at, you know, the Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, the Beatles, yeah. that kind of thing. And then he was like, see these interesting chords that y'all are getting so uh, amped up about and how they're working in this construct? Mm -hmm. Let me show you where that all started. And then we will go back through uh, Tchaikovsky, Beethoven, Mozart, Bronze, See, and that's, that's really interesting. While we're here, you don't you don't find a lot of theory teachers who start with the stuff that you're into. You know what I mean? Like, you don't find yeah. a lot of theory teachers that hey, yeah, let's start with Stevie and Chaka and Al and whatever. Right. Like wherever you want to start, that's cool. Like most most of my theory teachers, even at the collegiate level, like it was no, you were only studying Tchaikovsky, Brahms, you know. Mozart may all, all basically the original hitters. And then we move and, you know, by two years later, we're up to American popular music. So it's cool that you had that experience to yeah. say, okay, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, a 13 chord. And now, now I got to come back and figure out the, you know, Genesis of that sound. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, man, like everybody, that took theory with Dr. Harrington said that we all appreciated it more because he did it that way, because he started us at the point that he knew we were picking up the mantle and going forward cool. and said, in order for you to understand the mantle you're carrying, let's look at how they got to this point. Right. So it was all building blocks. And right. I, I, man, I'm telling you, man, uh, I owe him the biggest debt of gratitude uh, for really, he, he didn't necessarily like open my musical ear. He just showed me how it works. Mm -hmm. And when that when I had that light bulb moment, in which his is class, such a gift to, 
somebody showing you how your mind works. That's yeah, man. that's a gift we don't talk about in music. So that's yeah, man. Uh, so I was just like, man, now I, I I get it. And so then he was like, now you have to take this and apply sound to it because wow, you can't just play all the same instruments all the same voicings now you have to look at why does this sound so big mm -hmm. and it's only four people playing mm -hmm. uh so there's so where we, your arrangement head kind of started absolutely yeah so I'll, I'll never forget this moment man we were actually as you said we were talking about 11th and 13th chords mm -hmm. uh in class and he starts playing that girl by Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. So everybody's in there. I mean, we are vibing out, right? Yeah. And it gets to that part, that uh, that that turn in the verse. Uh, the lyric is, uh, she thinks in no time flat uh, that she'll be free and clear to start. Mm -hmm. And then he lands on that chord, that little interchangeable chord. And, uh, and it's just uh, mind-boggling, like how... <laughs> like how does he make this work because it yeah. sounds like a modulation in the middle of the verse but it's not but it's not a modulation <laughs> it's just the genius of stevie wonder at work yeah and he goes that's an 813 chord and i was like that's a what and he was like let me break this down for you you can play that as a g major seven over a and I was like, man, show me that. So then <laughs> he says, come up here. He says, now everybody can play everything up to that point because it's just, you just riding the groove. Yeah. But when you start working through those changes behind that lyric, here again, the melody is so sweet. She thinks in no time flat, it should be free, free and clear to start. Yeah. Da, 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 da. He said, follow the voice leading and then just play this chord right here. He, he, put, he says, play a G major 7 on the right with an A triad in the bass. Yep. And I was like, what in the devil is going on here? And yep. I was, dude, like chill bumps from the head to the toe. And I was just like, oh, my God. And so he was like, that is how the beauty of melody will open up everything else musically and here's yeah. and this then is harmony how makes sense. then yeah. harmony begins to make sense when you start looking at you know this is something i always talk to my dad about is when you start looking where that melody wants to go peel back the peel back the curtain on the the inner voicings of that of those chords where it's leading to then it all makes sense you build yes, it from the top down. Yes, sir. So by this point, this what? How old are you in college, or what? What le freshman, sophomore, junior, what? I am at this point a sophomore, so I'm about 19 years old. Okay. Um, and and I was just like, okay, I left that class that day, and I was just like, I I don't want to leave. So what am I going to do to unpackage all of this? Because it's, it started just like the hamster wheel was just turning. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me a list of albums to go listen to. Yeah. 
And this is what it was. It was um, Music of My Mind, mm-hmm. 1972, Talking Book, 1972, Inner Visions, 73, Fulfilling This First Finale, 74. He just gave you only Stevie stuff. Yep. <laughs> wow. And it ended with Songs in the Key of Life. And so, by, I mean, by that point, that's pretty much, I would say that's the golden era, right? Oh, absolutely. So that's, from a historian's perspective, it's like you're you're getting all all flavor palettes all around from that golden era because there's so much of it. That's the thing. Oh, man. That's yes. the thing about Stevie. It's like once once he started making those records, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, the way, I, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but... The way he made all those records, it just went in and, and cut two, three hundred songs. Yeah. You know, with the Tontos guys, you know, and, and yeah. just, okay, well, this one's going to go on talking book. This one's going to go here. This one's going to, and then there's the albums, you know, they weren't, they weren't made in a sequential aspect right. like most, you know, back in the day, albums were made to be stories. You know, this is, oh, here we go. And so it's so cool that your, your director gave you here's all you need to study you know you don't you don't hear that a lot yeah man and and what it did for me it 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 opened up for me the curiosity of the story like okay you know here here it is uh uh everybody knows about signs still delivered and uh all of this stuff from the early part of you know the musical the musical genius of stevie wonder Mm mm-hmm and you know uh stevie has renegotiated his deal with motown and he was like man i want a little bit more creative control over what what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and he literally locks himself away just goes into seclusion Mm -hmm. and and in that story i for me it's it it seems more like an ongoing opus okay yeah uh he's that electric lady uh, in Greenwich Village in New York mm-hmm. and, and bouncing back and forth between New York and L.A. Um, just just exploring all of these different constructions of sound. He's getting deep into the mood sense and, uh, you know, he's exploring all these different textures with the roads and the whirly and uh, and not to mention know. playing every instrument. Not to mention playing every instrument outside of outside of horns, but like, but like, yeah, I mean, he's playing every instrument, he's arranging it himself. And like what I like what you said about the textures between because I don't know if that had been done before in in a a strictly R&B sense of melding the Moog with Rhodes in in the sense of what what sonic texture I just I don't really know of anybody else that had done it like that at that time. I don't think anybody had done it in R and B. You had some some guys experimenting with it in the jazz world, mm-hmm. but going mainstream with it that's that's what I, I'm talking I, about. Yeah, I, I think Stevie might have been one of the ground breaking trailblazers in that. Okay, uh, and and what made it so beautiful was. Man, Stevie Wonder and all of his genius really started to like 
unfold with this. It's like we we got into Stevie's mind a little bit deeper hmm. and got to go on this journey musically with him, which made it so stinking awesome, man, because it was just like. Which man, is another, you, that's another point in the camp for album orientation, because you don't see in the world of singles, it's like anybody today can flip the aesthetic or flip their approach or their look. I mean, yeah, you might get that with a Taylor Swift, like in, in one album, you know, she's got a central theme, but then, you know, reputation came out and it, I'm a different, pro- I'm, I'm Annie Lennox now. I'm dark, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm dark now. Right. Right. And with Stevie, I like how you put that. It's really genius, man. Like we got to go on a musical journey from being Stevlin Morris to little Stevie wonder to now, and and the freaky thing was he's like my age. He was like twenty six, cutting this stuff. Yeah, you know, becoming Stevie Wonder and and the listeners getting to experience that coming of age. With yeah, him. man. And you don't. I'm just saying you don't see that often now. In I, I think in some ways you do, but that that's a really unique way to put that. Yeah, and 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 I think we appreciate Stevie. And all of the artists that allowed us to watch them evolve mm-hmm. musically through these classic records over time, I think we have a, a different appreciation and it builds that longevity, that timelessness mm-hmm. that we all talk about, that we all kind of aspire to create in our own right. Right. And, totally. uh, Man, what I love about it is it was a lyrical journey. It was a musical journey, like like actual composition. It was a sonic journey. Mm-hmm. It was a spiritual journey. Unique for that time in R&B. Yes, sir. Very Be- much so. Because you had you had other artists at that time. You had other groups where it was it was less about the journey and more about the hang. Right. Like you had Parliament, you had Ohio players, you had you had all this stuff. The only I will put maybe maybe I'm going on a rabbit trail, but the same we're talking about Stevie, a singular artist with a singular vision. I'll equate him to a band that I feel like had the same you would have the same journey, and that's Earth, Wind and Fire. But again, that's Absolutely. a lot of people. Right. Absolutely. What we're talking about and that, that is not at all to diminish the genius of Maurice and all them, but one singular person opening us up to a world that's in his mind. Absolutely. Is on, is unparalleled. And all of us can go back through each of these albums. If we have any reference point for the music of Stevie wonder, mm-hmm. if we start rattling off songs, favorite songs, yeah, they're probably on one of these, uh, five records. Yep. Which, and he, yeah. And he's the singer. I mean, it was Grammy after Grammy after Grammy for those yes, two. Yes, so sir. let's back to your narrative that, because this is what a great setup that is for the rest of our conversation by the time you're about my age. So mid, mid to late twenties, uh-huh. that influence, how had it evolved for you? Cause I, I'm going to guess what, give me a ballpark year that you were 25. 
let's see. Oh, three, two thousand three. Okay, so you're so early twenties, like you're twenty one in the late nineties, and so much is changing. Yes, sir. On on the and the, I'm gonna have a million conversations on Mister Encyclopedia about this time, but this is a ballpark of twenty years after these records have come out. Right. You know, you're experiencing the rebirth of soul music in an yes. entirely new way. Yes. And then there's a third rebirth that happened in the in the in the late 2010s that we'll get to that we're that you know you and I are an active part of. But this second one I'm talking about here is with the birth of you know miseducation, mama's gun, voodoo, brown sugar up, right. up into you said that was 03 or 05 that you were you were like 25. Uh, oh three, I was twenty five. So that's that's getting up into like neo and like all those new like early Usher. Yes, sir. I I'm just curious from from your perspective, being that age at that time, what did the Stevie thing? How did that help you hear music that was coming out that day and start kind of molding that into? you being a singer and a player and this artist in your own right because there's again you experience the rebirth of soul music happening in the mid to late 90s now we're coming into 0305 and it, pop is kind of blending across the the genre barriers i just want to know for you how did all those things come together or did they they did in a major way um what it helped what it helped me to do at an individual level was to remember the three cornerstones of why this era for Stevie was so groundbreaking. Okay, cool. It was the, 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 you know, the melody, the lyrics, and the composition. Right. Um, and everything that I was listening to in that uh, early 2000s era that is what we call the 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 rebirth and then the second rebirth of uh r&b and soul mm -hmm. it, it points back to everything that stevie did um we we got to experience uh records that now have this heavy groove bass mm -hmm. uh, and they stripped everything away and gave instruments a new level of identity in these records that we had kind of lost in because too your what we're what we're i don't want to i don't want to gloss over here is that this is the era after disco right this is the era after alesis based new jack do do right. do you know programmed everything right this, i am trying to figure out okay and in, in, in the electric ladyland conversation Something happened after the '80s, after the early '90s, that that happened to R&B that went. Mm, let's let's go more organic again. Let's turn around. Yeah. And and I, if I were to offer my own, is that limited, what you're talking about, or am I am I going a different direction? No, I think you're going right down the right down the path. Okay, uh, you know, if if I were to put my own limited understanding to it from a fan and now. A creative mind that's trying to to do it yeah 
I would say for me personally, what it was is I, I got taken back to school, if you will. Hmm. And it was like, no, you, if you want to have timeless records, if you want to have timeless the three songs, pillars, go back to the three pillars. It's got to be the melody. Mm -hmm. It's got to be the depth of the lyric, but the simplicity of the lyric. And, and, yeah. and, I, and I'll, I'll fast forward to 2006. Yeah. Uh, I got to see Stevie live in Nashville mm -hmm. at, at the Bridgestone. And, you know, with all of the genius of the musicality that's on the stage, what was the one thing that I walked away with it? That whole arena sang every song like they were on stage with him from start <laughs> to finish. Hey, can you imagine? Like you Dude, that's like playing it, a that's like playing a stadium full of singles. And I'm telling you, man, it was it was three and a half hours straight. But the whole crowd sang from start to finish every song every line even deep cuts even deep cuts wow man that and it's like for me that, see that's so amazing that to think about the i think if if we were to say you know if we were kind of draw this out on a chalkboard it's like if you want to be timeless you maintain the three pillars it's it's a plus b equals c like yes sir it's like man Go to go to any family reunion, regardless of ethnicity. Some, <laughs> you had to add that, right? <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. Yeah, no, somebody's exactly playing. Right. Somebody's playing Stevie Wonder. Yeah, there's I mean, At there's a reason point. wedding recessionals are signed, sealed, delivered. There's a reason, you know. Right. So right. It, it it works across the board. Uh, I know for me. My first experience with Stevie, I was probably seven, six. Okay. Okay. And just exposed to it, just the way I was raised. It's like that's what I had. So I think I think Talking Book was the first record I had. And come on. I just remember even as a young kid listening to these cuts going, Man, I, I I've heard I feel like I've heard tracks like this before, but my first time hearing superstition and trying yeah. to, even at that young age, trying to figure out what was going on in the clav parts, how, how many parts were actually going on. And I brought it back after I got the LP, I brought it back to my dad and I said, you know, I, I was probably nine or 10 by this point and musically cognizant enough to ask questions about what I was hearing in, in that sense. And I'm going, help me understand what's happening here in the textures and that's that's like where i started to learn about voice leading and right dryness of production you know drying up sounds to where there's they're not swimming in anything you can really hear the parts you know right so for me it was my first exposure to analog synthesis like that wasn't you know techno because I, I grew i was born in 93 so like i grew up i was a child when Paul Oakenfold and BT and all the all the big names in the techno world were that was my exposure to synth work. Right. So do 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 you know that kind of thing. Just 303 yeah, bass with an arpeggiator. But hearing like I heard like Jungle Boogie and stuff like that and like flashlight 
and I'm, I'm going, oh, I've, I know these sounds. I can quantify what these are, but it wasn't until I got Talking Book where I thought, I, you know, in all these records, I'm going, man, there's there's something special here, you know, and, and it wasn't until later in my musical pursuit, you know, understanding what Bob Moog did for music. Right. So not right. not too tangent there, but... I what I like about you as an artist and knowing what I know about you and having seen you perform so many times is you have a way to clearly pull and not a lot of singers can do this. This is really cool. You pull influences that are you are um acting like an actor. You're pulling you're pulling an influence from Stevie but at the end of the day, it's still Joey, and that's what's really freaky. Oh wow! That's even in your your vocal performance and your parts, the parts you're choosing to play on keys. When I see you play, that's what's really frightening. Is that's how that's how you know a scholar of of an artist or an era is. Yes, I'm biting these influences, I'm pulling them like an actor, but what you're hearing is Joey Ritchie. Yeah, man. Man, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to hit you with the. <laughs> when you are, when you are going to, when you're sitting down to write parts or or write, you know, either, either as an MD or as you know in your in your role in like the church or anything like that, can you do you find yourself going, oh man, that's a Stevie move, like in terms of the vocab? I know for me. That happens sometimes for me, like oh. with different artists. I'm like, man, I'm biting Stevie. Oh, absolutely. Um, from from an original composition standpoint, uh, I think sometimes I find myself asking, "What was Stevie what? doing this <laughs> exactly. moment?" Exactly. You know what I mean? Because it's like with all of yeah. the with all of the advancements that you would try to put in a piece, I find myself asking the question, what could we do to simplify this so that everybody will feel like they can sing this song and it becomes their favorite. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I, you know, I pulled that from Stevie's influence on, on my musical upbringing and my musical evolution. The importance uh, of making a simple melody effective. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you talked about like musical movements, and uh, you know that's a Stevie line or that's a, that's a Stevie riff or whatever. Mm -hmm. Man, <laughs> I don't know how many people know this or not, but uh, the bass line that I wish is nothing but a slow shout. I yep. The day the day somebody told me that, I think it was my dad. I think it was my father told me that. And he said, kick it up to 160. What does it sound like? <laughs> and I just started laughing. And he starts playing chords. I'm sitting there on bass playing it. And yeah. he starts playing more gospeled out. The exactly. Pentecostal thing. And I'm going, well, this is just church music. And you and I being church music, like being raised in that. Exactly. And living that. What is that? It's like, what does that mean for, for performance? You know, when, it come, when you're listening to that, okay, that's a shout at 105. What it does for me is it, it helps me to understand that all of the timelessness of any great artist pulls from 
so many different influences. Right. What so, you know. yeah. And, and yeah. there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So if, if Stevie can find influence, cause I mean, when you listen to some of the movements behind the groove and behind, uh, the clav and you start the peeling the pull that he's doing yeah yes sir mm-hmm. uh it's like okay he's got not only a little bit of church going on but these voicings are very classical I and know. so Dude, it's like that's a huge wait point a, like wait a minute and that's i think those two points specifically is what really makes the genius absolutely the classical movements is uh in living for the city try and make heads or tails of that just by looking at it you can't right until you start peeling it back and looking at the changes that's just baroque classical music like you that's said. all it is that's all it is and here again what did he do he put he put basically a nursery rhyme melody over the top of it because if you just take the melody line that he sings over that, it's like a nursery rhyme or or uh, or a lullaby. It almost sounds like a nursery rhyme. And it's, I never thought about that. It's another example of like, is this a modulation? Are we changing keys or no? Right, or are we ending the song because it sounds like a triumphant ending? And then he just drops right back into the groove. Which, mm-hmm. and there's, and that, that's the thing about Stevie is you, you, for the most part, 60% of the catalog has got you chicken head. Yeah. Simplicity, yes, effectiveness. Sir. Yes, sir. And golly, not to, I'm glad we're talking about that song because not to mention the vocal performance and what that's in F sharp minor. Right. And you see, the whole thing is above the staff, too. Right. Full chest, right? Full chest and putting the grit on it and telling like and telling a real story. So let's take mm-hmm. it all like like if you start di- d- uh, diving into uh if you start diving into just the the album of inner visions where living for the city is sitting it's a whole story yeah i'm looking it up right now just to just to get like a a full i'm looking up the article on it now just to see i want to i want to get a full understanding of what you mean so that comes too high obviously opening track Visions, right. Living for the City, with Golden Lady, right after it. Right. Side one. Right. So what's what's the narrative? We obviously know Living for the City is, you know, African-American suffrage. Well, the narrative for me, like, if you know, when I peel back just that sequence of songs. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that it, it, it uh, brings to my mind is what was going on in the urban uh experience for black people and for minorities at the time what was going on 73 73 we're on the tail end of like a major drug epidemic the war is going on yep uh 
impoverishment and disenfranchisement is at an all time high. Mm-hmm. We're we're uh, we're post uh, post civil rights movement, but mm-hmm. still uh, very echoes disenfranchised. Yeah. You know, you still got those echoes. And, and the only way to the only way to escape was crime. Drugs. Death. Mm-hmm. Or or find some sort of philosophical, psychological, emotional escape mm-hmm. from some other, you know, from some other means. Uh, and so you can either take you can take the spiritual route. You can take the pharmaceutical route. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or you can take the criminal route. But at the same time, it's all in search of one thing, and that's to get to a higher place because mm-hmm. higher ground is on the flip side. And, of, that, of and he ain't record. even being subtle on higher ground. Not at all. You know, so just he, saying, do what you're going to do, you know, keep on going. Yep. And, man, you know, there are some in my generation who do want to get back to album-oriented music. It seems that we lack the continuity that is required to sit down for a full album. Well, I, I believe that all art uh, is a reflection of the times we're in. Right, right. And I believe that the artistic release um, stems from our connection to the time we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say that right now the the average uh, attention span of any human being is what I, I don't even want to know <laughs> it's, it's around what 12 to 15 minutes and diminishing yeah and so to sit down and soak up a musical opus like an inner visions uh, of songs in the key of life which is a double record it requires your whole brain but you got to turn your brain off yeah your brain's active but it's off Right. That's that's a good point. the The attention span is diminishing, and it yet it an album like Intervisions requires you to pay attention, but unplug. Yeah, you're you're just experiencing that that coming of age with Stevie. Exactly, and what it what it says for me when I look at what's going on in the you know in the current mm-hmm. uh, wave of music. Mm-hmm. Is that the potential is there? I think that the stories are there. They I absolutely think that, are. Yeah. I think that even like, you know, while everybody else is kind of dishing on what's going on, I think if you look beyond the theatrics of the performances that we're privy to, whether it's in video or in live settings right. or whatever, right? And you start peeling back the layers of what's actually being said, and say, okay, wait a minute. Where did that come from? Then you start figuring out that there's yeah. there's a there's a layer that they've actually tapped into. They're really telling you something about a life that they have access to, whether it's the life that they actually live or it's uh, you know by ex- yeah. a life that you can buy. Right. Um, you know that I think the stories are there. I think that we have clouded. Our, I think we've clouded our own uh, individual vision to see the truth that lies beneath because our attention span is, okay, 
If that beat don't hook me in, I'm on to the next. Well, that's the end of part one of my interview with Joey. In part two coming soon, we're going to be talking about how the music of Stevie Wonder influences a lot of the music we hear today and what's going on in the Nashville R&B and soul scene and some of those artists that we really have to shout out and give props to for doing what they do. In the meantime, leave us a five-star review if you loved Mr. Encyclopedia and we'll be back next time. <laughs>